I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and have it open as we remember some of Jesus' teaching about prayer. We'll focus simply this evening on the idea that Jesus can help us pray. Jesus can help us pray. The song we were just singing is certainly an encouragement to pray. Time is filled with swift transition. And as life comes before us and then changes on a dime, we know we must depend upon our God. We know that God's hand is unchanging. While things can fill our hearts with fear, we can know and we understand that we can rely upon God. So we pray to Him. We don't really need encouragement to pray because things in life take us to our knees. Life the swift transition of family and children and other things that happen. Well, I was just seeing a picture right there with Josh and Miss Bedingfield, Miss Linda. Showed me a picture of, of a fish hook in somebody's finger. Was that in your finger? It was in Josh's finger. Embedded in his finger. When I say that, that means the end of the hook has now disappeared into the flesh. I've seen that before. I hadn't seen it in a while. And I'm thinking, if that happened, I would certainly pray. Several different kinds of prayers. But Jesus can help us to pray. And let's think about a few ideas along this line. Focusing here on Matthew chapter 6, familiar prayer, sometimes called, called the Lord's Prayer, but it certainly is Jesus teaching us to pray. Let's think about some doctrines, some teachings, some doctrines that are evident when we pray. That ought to be in our minds as we pray. According to Jesus, some doctrines that ought to be in our minds as we pray. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. And so the family of God is one doctrine that ought to be in our minds as we pray. The family of God. You see, praying is just like talking to a family member. Praying is just like talking to, to your father, to your, to your daddy. Except that we're talking to the Heavenly Father. But God teaches us to pray in this way because He wants us to pray freely. He wants us to come to Him in prayer. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. 1 Peter chapter 4, is it verse 12? Where it says the Lord's ears are open into our prayers and to the prayers of the righteous. The Lord wants to hear from us as we pray. And so think about the doctrine of the family of God. It's just like talking to your father. He wants to hear uh, from us. Now to become a member of that family is really uh, simple to look at. We read it all the time. Galatians chapter 3, 26 we are all the children of God by faith, by the faith in Christ Jesus. For as many 
of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. The reason you need to remember that, and we need to remember that, is because most people pray. And it can be an opportunity, this subject of prayer can be an opportunity to talk to someone about the family of God and about what being a member of the family of God is all about and how that God wants to have this father-child relationship not just with a few but with everybody in the world. Let us thank God for his family. Let us thank God for his church. Do you pray that way? Do you thank the Lord for the church and for what it means to the world and for the blessing that it has been to your life? So, so one doctrine is the family of God. Another doctrine is the name of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God is an important uh, doctrine. God's name in itself is to be set apart. It is to be sanctified in our lives. And we are to remember that especially as we, as we pray. As we pray. You know, the opposite of sanctified, the opposite of being hallowed is the word common. May we never use God. May we never refer to Him in a common way. Never. Now, God ought to be on our minds all the time. He ought to be part of our conversations, but we need to keep him on the reverent level, the holy level in which uh, he is, in which he presides. And so when we speak about God, let us make sure that we're either worshiping God, praying to him, singing to him, or some other act of worship. Let us, if we're going to use the name of God, let us make sure we're worshiping God. Or let us make sure if we're using the name of God that we are teaching about God or we're trying to learn about God more and teach about Him and and discuss Him in in that manner. Or let us uh, be in the act of giving glory to God. But other than that, let us be careful about using the name of God. When I say give the glory to God, you know, James teaches us in James 4 about verse 15 as we make our plans, we ought to say, James says, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Let us make sure that we give credit where credit is due. Let us give glory to God because he is the cause and he's the giver of all good things, James 1 and verse 17. But beyond these avenues, let us be very careful about using the name of God in a common, trivial way. But again... The name of God. Let's think about prayer as an opportunity to share the good news, to share the gospel. Really, what Jesus is saying as we pray, He says, as you pray, pray like this. Pray, may the name of God be hallowed everywhere. That's the idea behind the phrase in the original uh, tenses there. In other words, pray that the name of God in its reality, in everything that the name of God stands for, may it be spread among the earth. That's that's really the idea here uh, behind this prayer. And that's what we ought to be praying about. Uh, Colossians 4 verse 2 uh, says to continue in prayer, but also Paul asked that an open door be be found for, for the gospel. We ought to be praying 
that the gospel can be spread and that it will find open hearts and open doors uh, and that the name of God will ring true in more and more places. That's what our prayer ought to be all about. And so two doctrines here, the family of God, our Father who art in heaven, and then the name of God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be uh, thy name. You know, speaking of that name, when a person submits to the will of God and initially and becomes a member of the body of Christ, the family of God, then as we read in Acts twenty-two sixteen, that act is, in a sense, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. And so may the gospel go forth and may it, may it shine brightly in this world so that more and more people will call upon the name of the Lord. A third doctrine here is the kingdom of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Now the kingdom came in an organized way, as we all know, uh, on the day of Pentecost. We need to be able to show that. And so you've traced this out before. But notice once again in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. Just quickly notice, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, there are some here, here of them that stand here, who shall in no wise taste of death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. And so that teaches us that there are some who would see the kingdom of God come and be set up in an organized way while they're still living on earth during the generation of Jesus there. And then if you look over to Luke chapter uh, 24 toward the end of that chapter, just tracing this out. We've done this before, but, but we must uh, review these things. Jesus tells his disciples here in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send forth the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city until you be clothed with power from on high. So Mark 9 verse 1, Jesus says, The kingdom would come. During the lifetime of some of his disciples, it would come with power. Again, he says here, uh, before he ascends up on high, uh, tarry ye in the city until you see uh, the kingdom come with power, till you be clothed with power from on high. And then notice in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, Jesus, before he ascends up to the Father, he says, to his apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. So putting all that together, the kingdom would come during their generation. The kingdom would come with some sort of power. Okay. They would be in the city of Jerusalem when this power came. Here in Acts 1 verse 8, we see that the power would come in the form of a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. And then we see this actually taking place in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which happens to be the day in which Peter stands up as Jesus promised that he would stand up. He would open up the doors of the kingdom. Jesus, of Matthew 16, 19, would give the, the keys of the kingdom to Peter. He would stand up and preach the full gospel and people would respond by repenting of their sins and being baptized uh, for the remission of of their sins. And so Jesus says, when you pray, 
Pray with the kingdom in mind. Pray with certain doctrines in mind, but pray with the kingdom in mind. But now, we as followers of Christ, we, we think about that and we pray about that. We pray that more people would just would know about this, the, the organized uh, kingdom that, that we're privileged to serve uh, within. But as followers of Christ, we also think about what kingdom means. It means that Jesus is the king. And we, we are his servants. Okay. It means that we are in the process, and this is part of our prayer uh, to the Lord. We're in the process daily of relinquishing our own desires and having the king to truly reign over us. Okay. And that is continual growth in that uh, direction. Colossians 3 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Romans 6, 11 and 12 says, let not sin therefore reign in your body. You see, we are in that process of, of becoming more and more like Christ. We're in the process of having less and less sin in our lives. And this is called Jesus ruling. He's reigning over us. And so as Christians, that's what we're focused on. Mainly, King of my life, we sometimes sing, I crown thee now. Okay. When we come to Christ, we are crowning him as our king. And he is going to rule over our lives. We must remind ourselves of that and pray to the Lord about this process as, as we pray to him. So the doctrine of the family of God and of the name of God and of the will of God or, or rather, the kingdom of God. And then the fourth doctrine here is the will of God. Thy will be done, he says, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus would teach things while he's on this earth that would always be for man, for the guidance of men. And then he would lead his apostles to teach those things which would always be for the benefit of mankind. And together, the teachings of Jesus and what the apostles are led uh, to be taught to teach in the name of Jesus, these things comprise the New Testament scriptures that we have uh, here now. The will of the Lord. In Matthew uh, 16, 19, once again, Jesus told Peter and the rest of the apostles, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will already have been loosed uh, in heaven. This is the will of God. Okay. Thy will be done in my life as you would have it done from heaven. Okay. And I need to be praying that. And we all need to be praying that. Lord, may your will be done. May your will be first in my life. Of course, we go to Jesus to learn how to pray because He is the perfect God. He's, he was perfect in his life. Hebrews 4, uh, 15. Uh, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This man we know as Jesus, as the Son of Man, but also the Son of God. According to 1 Peter 2, 22, he did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Can you imagine that, living life on earth without one single sin? Jesus is the one to guide us in our prayer life and in all of life, but in prayer life in particular, because he, he lived the perfect life and he guided the apostles into teaching exactly what heaven wanted 
to be taught. And so as we pray, we think about the will of God being done in our life and that it is first in our life. Now Jesus himself says in John 6, 38, I have come to this earth not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the will of the Father. And we know that he prayed about the same thing as he was suffering, as he was struggling in his prayer there in the garden, Luke twenty-two forty-two, that not as he would desire, not his will, but the Father's will be done. That must be first. That must be first. And this is how we pray. And so Jesus teaches us that we need to have certain doctrines in mind as we pray. And some of those doctrines would be this, the family of God, the name of God, the kingdom of God, and then the, the will of God. In the second place, let's think about this in regard to prayer. Jesus can help us pray. I want us to think about the word daily. Daily. Give us this day, he says, our daily bread. The early disciples took the idea of daily service seriously. They really did. They were meeting together every day according to Acts 2 and 46. They were doing the work of the Lord on a daily basis, Acts 5, 41 and 42. In Acts 6 and verse 1 we see even they were, they were serving the widows on a daily basis. We read about the, the noble Bereans in Acts 17, 11 and 12. That they searched the scriptures daily whether these things be so. Somehow and and uh, over time, somehow in uh, modern church life, we have almost reduced the religion of Jesus to a day or two a week. And, and may, may we continue to work on ourselves uh, that that would not be the case uh, anymore. It was a daily religion, and it still ought to be. And it ought to be daily prayer. Jesus says, pray daily for the bread that you would receive, And, of course, that implies praying daily all the time. As we mentioned a moment ago, Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul's, the Apostle Paul's instruction was to continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. And this is similar to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, toward the end of that chapter, where he says, pray without ceasing. And we remember in Luke 18, verse 1, that Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so see that parallel, please, that the more we pray, the less we're going to faint. Prayer is a great strength against, against a lot of temptations. Okay. And so there ought to be a daily need uh, for prayer. And we ought to, to seek to do that. Now, we're in danger of, of being part of something very destructive, and that is raising one generation after another generation of, of Christians that worry. Christians that worry. If anybody ought to be on top of trusting the Lord, it ought to be uh, Christians. Philippians 4 and verse 6, In nothing be anxious, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That about covers it there. You know, through prayer, talking to God. Through supplication, letting God know what you need. And then with thanksgiving, naming off to God 
thanking Him for everything that, that will possibly come into your mind with, within that setting of prayer. That relieves the stress. That is taking our worries to the Lord and leaving it there at the very throne of God and letting Him take care of that. And he's far more qualified than you are or that I am of handling these things in life. And so think about as we pray the idea of daily, daily prayer, continuous, religious prayer. If we think that somehow or another we're going to feel close to God by praying a repetitive prayer maybe once at night or a couple of days during the week, then we have another thing coming. It's just not going uh, to happen. And then another word to think about in regard to daily is not only daily prayer, but a dependence or a desire for God as we pray. A desire for God as we pray. Because He wants us to pray as if we need the Lord. And we do need Him. But how badly do we need Him? Well, try going without food for an entire day or for several hours. For a lot of us, just for several hours. And just begin to see how much you really want to eat. You've got to have something to eat. You, you go searching the cabinets. You've got to have something to eat. And that's how much we really need the Lord in prayer. And so that desire ought to be there for the Lord. We were able to discuss a little bit of this with our uh, youth class this morning. But it seemed like, seems like the, the Bible people that really prayed um, had an intensity that um, is seldom seen uh, today. We think about 1 Samuel 1 when, when Elkanah's wife, Hannah, was so desirous of having a child. And she prayed to the Lord. Eli marked her one day. He saw her pray. Now she's praying from her heart. Her lips are moving, but he's not hearing any sound. But she's praying from her heart. He thinks that she may be drunk, and so he begins to maybe rebuke her a little bit. But she assures him, I'm not, dr- I'm not drunk. 1 Samuel 1.15 he says, I'm not, she says, I'm not drunk, Eli. She says, I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. Pouring out my soul. That leads me to think about uh, Luke 6 and verse 12. When Jesus spent all night in prayer before he selected the official 12 apostles. Now again, we say Jesus lived a perfect life. But he felt the need to pray, to pour out his soul Unto the Lord. So what does that say to us? Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the water, for the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for you, Lord. My soul longs for you. When it says there that my soul longs for you, it's simply saying, it's David saying, Lord, I can't wait until I can have the next opportunity to come to you in prayer once again, I have so much I've got to talk about. I have so much to thank you uh, for. And so in, in addition to the doctrines we can be thinking about as we pray, and thinking about praying daily, we can also thinking about, think about the desire we ought to have. Just as we desire food, 
then we ought to desire to be in communication with God. Listen to how Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask and it shall be given to you. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And then Jesus will go on to say, Now which of you having children is going to give your you're going to give your child, instead of bread, you're going to give him a stone. Instead of meat, you'll give him a snake to eat. None of you are going to do that. We enjoy blessing our children. So the Heavenly Father enjoys blessing us, but He wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to ask. He wants to be, us to be seeking Him. He wants us to have an earnest desire to come and talk to Him. In addition to these words, think about the word Debts. Jesus teaches us to pray here in Matthew 6 to, for the Father to forgive us of our debts. And we know there that, that He means sin. Sin is a debt. Sin is not something that we can extinguish from our lives through money. Peter teaches that, don't he? Our redemption, we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, but through the precious blood of Jesus. I don't think Peter means that we would actually believe that we could take some money out and pay for our sin. He may be indicating here that, that many people believe that the, the common busyness of life that involves silver and gold and a lot of other things surrounding silver and gold, that those things can so preoccupy us that it just causes us to not think about the sins we've committed. It could be that Peter is saying that very thing, that don't believe the devil's words here, don't believe the devil's notions that because you're busy in life, that somehow that takes care of your spiritual walk with God. Rather, we need to be seeking the Lord for Him to forgive us of our debts. It's just as important to talk about sins of a Christian as it is sins of anybody else. We sin. And we're thankful that we don't have to go back and be baptized again. But still, we have an avenue of forgiveness and here's this avenue. To have forgiveness from God as a Christian, we've got to study. Because it's the Word of God that tells us, the will of God, that tells us when we have been wrong. And once we've been convicted by that study, then we must repent. We must, we must repent. We must resolve in our heart that we're not going to do this ever again. And then as 1 John 1 verse 9 teaches us, we've got to confess this to God. Now it says there, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've got to go through this process. And so Jesus is telling us basically, don't forget. Don't forget. You may be a child and you can call upon the Father as your Heavenly Father but when you sin, you've got to go to Him and ask Him to forgive us, forgive you, forgive us, forgive me of my debts. 
Another thing to think about in regard to prayer, Jesus can help us pray. We need to think about the devil. Because Jesus, as he teaches us to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we pray, we've got to remember the work of the devil. Two big things about the work of the devil. First of all, he is relentless. We know that he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We may be seeking the Lord in prayer. We may be seeking the Lord through studying his word. But the devil also is seeking us. He is seeking our family members. He's seeking our children. He's seeking our neighbors. He is relentless. We must remember this. As we pray. Now Jesus met the devil in the wilderness. We read about that in Matthew 4. But also in Luke 4. If you look in Luke's account, Luke 4. And Jesus, of course, completely, in a very successful way, refutes the devil. And he leaves. But notice in Luke 4.13, it says, He departs from Jesus for a season. For a season. In other words, the devil had in his mind, okay, you win this battle, but I'm coming back. And he did come back to Jesus in a variety of ways. Even right there on the cross, the devil was still after Jesus. You know those people on the ground that Jesus hung on the cross, they said things similar that Satan said. You know, Satan said, if you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Those people on the ground looking up at Jesus on the cross said, if you be the Son of God, you know, bring yourself down. Do, do another one of your miracles. See, the devil's still after the Lord. He is relentless. We need to remember that as we pray. But we also need to remember that he's very seductive. Okay? He doesn't come, come at us headlong, head on. He doesn't come at us directly. James teaches this to us in James 1 beginning in verse 13 he says let no man say when he's tempted that I have been tempted of God for God does not tempt any man but every man is tempted he says when he is drawn away of his own lust now notice that we are drawn away the devil uses our own desires to afflict our soul Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished with us, brings forth death. Jesus is warning us, be on the guard for Satan. As we pray, we've got to be on the guard for Satan. He wants to take us down. You think because we've been baptized? You think because we've come to church? You think because we have Bible studies that the devil is just going to stop coming after us? He didn't stop coming after Jesus. But then think about the word deliver there also. Jesus says we can pray to the Lord that he will deliver us and he will deliver us. The Lord is totally capable of helping us overcome the temptations of Satan. Doesn't James 4 verse 7 say, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you? And I love this statement in 1 John 4 and verse 4 where John reminds us that the one who lives within us is stronger than the one who is in the world. 
God is stronger. But we must pray. Pray. Now, if we're going to overcome Satan through the strength of God and be delivered, we must pray in a proactive way. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, try praying before the sin ever comes close to you. Pray like this. Lead us not into temptation. Help us, Lord, in other words, to stay away from those areas that entice us. And the more that we're trying to follow Christ, the more that we become really aware of where our weaknesses are. And at what time of day those weaknesses are. And what the situation is when we succumb to our weaknesses. We know what those situations are. And then let us pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the final word is the word debtors. There are those who sin against us. And so we pray like this, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who sin against us, who are our debtors. And that ought to be automatic, just as we were speaking this morning about the golden rule. The golden rule really comes from our love for God. The more we love God, then the easier it is that we love others and we have the golden rule within our hearts. So the same thing here, the more we understand how much God has forgiven us, then the more grace and mercy we will show to each other. So perhaps it is true that Jesus can help us pray. We know it's true. And this is just an example. If we will keep these words in mind, if we'll keep some of the doctrines of the Lord in mind, if we'll keep in mind the importance of daily prayer and constant prayer, if we'll keep in mind that prayer ought to be a huge desire, a consuming desire of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we'll keep in mind that we need to ask for forgiveness of our sins, if we'll keep in mind that the devil is relentless and seductive, if we'll keep in mind that God has the strength to deliver us from the temptations of Satan, if we'll keep in mind that we're to have the same spirit of forgiveness that God extends toward us, then we will pray as the Lord wants us to pray. It all starts, as we were mentioning a moment ago, with our decision to follow Christ, to be part of His family, to put His will first. And if we can assist you with any of those needs, please, will you make that known right now as we stand together and as we sing, Brother James.